Vino, episode 73. Welcome to Vino 101, I'm Bill. Hello everybody, it's Al. It's a beautiful, crisp Sunday morning here in Sonoma Wine Country. Yeah. Have you? I don't know about you, Bill. It's uh, it's oh, yeah. in the, the high twenties where I am. Yeah, it's 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 cold. I don't remember it being this cold this long. Yes, yeah, it's for been about four or five weeks now. Just uh, low thirties, and it seems like it's getting a little bit colder. I'm not sure. It must be the wonder wonderment of the climate changing. I suppose. But my sister, my sister's tree. I've already brought this up before. My sister's tree is. It's chilling. Yeah, for sure. It's not happy. I don't know what that does for the for the fruit that I haven't picked yet. That's not mature. But I do have it covered up. But geez, I'll have to say that the uh, so I got fruit off my neighbor's lemon tree yesterday, and it was fine. Okay, good. You know, it was it was just it was just fine. Um, and it's not covered, but it's super well established. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's 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 almost five feet tall, kind of thing, and bushy. Yeah, we, we gotta be somewhere on the edge for that type of, you know, that type of fruit tree, right? Right. <laughs> With this temperature, we gotta be somewhere on the edge. I, you know, I read that if it, so they term a hard freeze. It's a freeze that's down in the twenties, mm-hmm. which we've been having, and. You have to have multiple days of it and no protection for the tree, and that'll kill the tree. Yeah. Um, but they say, you know, if you cover it, and it's getting, obviously, getting sun in the, during the daytime, and or I think water might work. I'm not 100%, you know, spraying it. Um, it should be okay. We have a small tangerine tree. I think that thing, which I did not cover, and it's on the edge of our property, and it, it I don't think it's going to make it. But who knows? It's been there a while. Yeah, yeah it, it, it might. Uh, you know, last year was pretty cold, too. Um, so, um, but not as cold as this year. Not a, This is an extended cold period. I mean, it's been even before. What Winter starts, what, December 11th? 21st. 21st, okay, yeah, so it's been, you know, we have uh, our, our commuter vehicles we are parked outside, you know, they're not covered, they're not in the garage, they don't have that luxury, so when I go out in the morning, you know, it's, same. You know, it's icy, man. Yeah, yeah, my son has a uh, bike helmet that's got like a visor on it, uh-huh. that thing works great, <laughs> scraped that thing right off the other day. My wife's like, let's get some hot water. I'm like, oh, you're from Chicago. Yeah. You know, let's scrape this thing off. What do you mean, well, hot water? How crazy. Yeah. I remember back in the day, you put hot water or any kind of water on it, freeze up by the time you get back in the car. Exactly, exactly. You can't pour water on it. It's been that cold, pouring water, you know, but, you know, hey. We're, you know, I, all I have to do to feel a little bit better is look at some of the weather stuff, you know, back in like Buffalo or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like, I yeah. There was a football game last night that was Buffalo and Miami in Buffalo. Yeah. Full on lake effect snowstorm during the game. People are throwing snowballs on the field. It was, uh, it was something else. Yeah, yeah that quarterback that they have in Buffalo, man, that guy is, he's, he's, uh, Mr. Allen. He's, uh, just, he's pretty amazing, man. Pretty durable fella. That's right. Well, if you're a football, American football fan, they cinched their playoff, or their, uh, yeah, their playoff. Um, yeah, they're gonna, they're, they're definitely, uh, gonna be, uh, be a force in contention for sure. Well, let's get on to it. I know we got to do a little short, short one probably this time, but I definitely wanted us to get one in before the holidays was over. And uh, well, it must be the season of wine business transactions, property oh. transactions. There's quite a Indeed. few. Indeed. What do you want to start with? Well, let's talk about the Sinsky um, acquisition. Sinsky, Robert Sinsky sells. Uh, yeah, they sold their. Um, it's an interesting way that they configured that. They Robertsinski's over off of uh, Silverado Trail, and uh, it's really in a unique place. It's um, and it's been there. I'm trying to think. 
I think Siski's been there since the mid '80s. I was going to say the '80s, right? Yeah, but his uh, his dad started it, and then um, kind of passed it on to him, and 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 he and his wife have run it. It's got this um, beautiful parlor when you walk in for tasting, and just beyond the parlor is this world class kitchen, and. Um, so it's kind of a it's a food a foodie mecca. I don't know if foodie's a word that you could use anymore, but sure, it's, it's, it's a food mecca. But it was purchased uh, by um, by the wonderful uh, the company. It's the wonderful company. <laughs> yes, and it's not Mister. What they got the the palm? They have the uh, Fiji. Well, they own a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. They're, they're billionaires. Yeah, yeah, and not to be confused with Mister Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Different group of folks. But they bought the property. They bought the, the winery. They bought X amount of land, I think 20 acres around the winery. And But they didn't buy the brand, which is really unusual because usually it's the other way around. Usually people want the brand and they're not even really concerned about the property. But... I will say that I think that I, I, I see them working because uh, the Resnicks also bought Lewis um, Lewis Vineyards. Wow, I didn't know that. They bought that uh, last year at the end of uh, the same time, I think, last year. And uh, Lewis didn't actually uh, own any vineyards. They, you know, they, they bought the grapes, but uh, they make fantastic wine, as you're aware of. And... Um, they need a home for that brand. So I could easily see, this is speculation, I could easily see them uh, using that property and uh, making the wine for Lewis there and, you know, kind of updating it and making it a, a destination spot for um, for tourism. Sure. So I, I think that that could possibly happen. Oh, so it says 42 acres of land. They, they purchased 42 acres. But um, the interesting thing about this whole... Uh, deal is well for one they, they never um, mentioned what the price was but I could speculate on that too and the, the price has to be I mean literally has to be in the 40s and up I would imagine um, millions um, and uh, they're going to lease the property back to the Sinskis so the Sinskis gonna, they're still going to just keep going on they're going to make their wine um you're going to still have their tasting room. You're going to still have their brand. Um, so they, they just they just bought the, bought the property. So they're leasing the property that they once owned. Yeah. It was interesting because the article started with uh, Sinsky saying it was a real estate transaction. Yeah, that's an interesting choice of words. Right. Didn't, you know, didn't purchase the winery in his brain. Um, you know, bought the, bought the real estate. But it is a very, I, you know, it's not typical, right? No, that typically doesn't happen. Usually, um, especially with these, these, this is a smaller, um, smaller winery, but usually with these deals, the brand is, is really what people want. They, they, they want the brand um, so they can beef it up or, I mean, especially if it's a successful brand because, you know, the Sinsky Tasting Room, that's a, that's a very popular destination for people. I've been there just a few times. That's a that's a great that's a great venue. Yeah, I've been there once, and I remember he was doing stuff with concrete. He had like a he was moving the wine around with concrete. This is I can't remember when it was in the nineties, probably. Um, so I I, I think I that Lewis wine brand is probably going to end up being there eventually because. Um, uh, the Sinskis, they already have their eye on another property, and what they want to do is um, they want something a little bit low-key, um, a little bit more low-key. Um, the wife wants to make cheese. They want to do some small um, organic farming. They want it all in the same spot because that winery is in a weird spot. It's it's just north of – not a weird spot. It's just – it's 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 in a spot – um, north of uh, Stag's Leap area. Yeah. And they they predominantly deal with cold climate stuff, cooler climate stuff. So they make Pinot Noirs like their calling card. 
Um, and there is no Pinot Noir grown in that area. So most of their vineyard holdings and where they pull their fruit from is down near San Pablo Bay, closer to San Pablo Bay in the Carneros area. I was going to say, is that Carneros yeah. area? So um, I think they got their eye on a piece of property down there. And uh, eventually, you know, you know, they'll they'll be asked to leave or they'll leave on their own or something like that. Because um, I think, I believe in the article, he said that they... Um, they have their eye on something, and they may um, they may be making an offer on something soon. Interesting. So anyway, that yeah. I thought that was interesting. Also, on the heels of that, speaking of acquisitions, I don't know if you saw that um, uh, Napa's uh, Seven Stones Winery was also sold. Yep. Um, and that's that winery sold for 34 million, which you know just leads me, you know, kind of further bolsters my. I know that that Sinsky uh, deal was probably pretty pretty up there, because um, Seven Stones Winery is. Uh, let's see, where is that? It is. Um, it's near Meadowood. Yeah, it's over on. The, it's across. It's, it's, it's up against the Vaca Mountains. There, it's up in the hills uh, above Meadowood. It used to be part of the Meadowood property. No, that I didn't know. That's it. And they only make 400. They only make 400 cases of wine, and it's Cabernet, so it's it's pretty high, it's pretty high end Cabernet because the winemaker is Aaron Pye. But um, it really was just somebody's house initially. It was their house, um, and uh, you know they had a pool, guest house, barn, that whole thing. And they said, oh, you know, we'll, we'll make we'll just kind of grow some grapes up here, and we'll make a little wine for our own private consumption. So it's, it's that, that type of deal. Yeah. But uh, they don't disclose who bought it, but it says the winery's new owner is from a multinational corporation. Yeah. So yeah, well, speculators start talking. The buyer is linked to one of the South Korean conglomerates, so the 70-year-old Hanwha Group. Okay. So um, $60 billion in revenue in 21 and $199 billion in assets. Yeah, it seems like they might have a little extra cash. They got some cash. Um, well, I just <laughs> I was thinking when I was reading these articles, if you're wealthy, there is no such thing as a recession. Yes. <laughs> it's it's, and that you know that's pretty wealthy. Um, yeah, it's well, it's the at, at some point you know I mean it's the old, the old thing of you know how much money do you need? Well, you might not need money, but you might need more things. That's so. yeah, um, but. Uh, this is the second acquisition of a winery by a South Korean conglomerate. So in February, the retail company Shin Shin Sege, I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's S H I N S E G A E. Um, they bought Schaefer. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, two hundred fifty million. And they kept. Uh, they kept. Uh, um, the uh, principles on also, as I recall, they didn't change anything, they just kept them on. Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, in my, the, uh, we'll, we'll uh, put the article in here. The, the article I'm referencing here is from the press, uh, from the North Bay Business Journal, which is the same company that writes the uh, Press Democrat. Okay. Um, and they, yeah, they, uh, um, they're, Following, you know, connecting the dots. Let's say that 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 Hanwha is the purchase of the um, of uh, Seven Stones, but it's you know it's not big. It does have fifteen hundred fifteen thousand foot uh, winery on that property. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of wineries like that around um, around that area that are just kind of I, I guess you could call them micro wineries. But, uh, yeah, that wine, I would, you're not going to, that wine sold um, uh, direct to consumer, or they have a mailing list, excuse me, and uh, I've never seen a bottle, and it's probably something that's listed, you know, at Metalwood, you know, in the restaurant. Or, or yeah, another high-end, by their high-end venues, although, what did they say, 500 cases? 400, I think, was the last vintage, 400, 500, yeah. That's not a lot of wine. No, no. Yes. Um, boy, if you're paying debt on that land, I don't know how you're making it off of 500 cases. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm speculating that they probably they probably bought 
I don't know. They, they probably just bought. Um, they bought everything out. Bought right? it with cash. Yeah. The uh, that fun fact: the person that owned the winery that just sold it is Ronald Warnick, and he he, their his company pioneered meals ready to eat. So the army. Oh, really? Yeah, the army food. Um, so he and his wife started that in '95. Oh no, sorry. Um, that was probably before. It's probably in the '80s or late '70s. But um, they bought the winery in '95. I did not know that. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And he passed away last year. That's Ronald pretty did. cool. So well, that makes on the same vein of uh, uh, wineries getting bought, um, this well, actually, I guess this isn't the same vein, but um, the the transition. What we're what we're seeing, and we've touched on this before. Oh, yeah. Uh, what we're starting to see is that there's a passing of the torch, which is actually the the title of this um, article that was uh, written by uh, Sarah Doyle for the Press Democrat. And what's happening is, and we talked about this in a few uh, episodes yep. of how people are, um, some of these local companies are managing to keep their businesses in the family. Which is pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool. But uh, there's three that are highlighted in this article. Uh, one is um, Ramey Wine Cellars, and Claire and Alan Ramey, uh, brother and sister, they're taking over for um, their uh, father, um, Dave Ramey, and his wife Carla. And they've been uh, this transition has been planned for for years and years. And uh, Dave is um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan You're of Ramey wines. And um, I've been to many events where Dave has spoken. He's uh, he's like always the smartest guy in the room. Um, so it's uh, it's really uh, I'm really happy that they're able to to hand that off. Um, well, the other one to, is which well, is really think. interesting, which is in your zone, which is Mary Jones is taking over um, uh, Amaritas Vineyards, and Amaritas is uh, that's a that's a huge property. And the story behind that is um, she's taken over for her father, Bryce Coutrere Jones. Oh. And if uh, that it's name, Coutrere, will ring a bell for some of you folks, mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, he's the guy that started with other investors, Sonoma Coutrere. And they're over there off of Slusser Road, right in Russian, Russian River Valley. And uh, a really super um, awesome brand. He had some really unique and um, unique ideas and really became a powerhouse for Chardonnay uh, back in the day. Um, they spent a lot of money on that property, and I'm not sure what the motivation was, but uh, in the late 90s, I believe, they decided, he decided to sell um, a good portion of his interest in it, and it was bought by, um, it was bought by Brown Foreman, just think uh, Jack Daniels. Yeah. And um, worked out uh, not so well for him because he got fired like about a year and a half later. And um, he took that money and he ended up buying uh, the Hallberg Ranch over in um, Sebastopol. And you'll remember this, Bill, because you've been around there for a while. When he bought it, it was just that used to just be apple orchards. And he. Um, he pulled up the uh, orchards and planted Pinot Noir, and that's one of the, um, that's a highly uh, sought-after grapes that they grow there at uh, Emeritus Vineyards. So she's taken over there, and then the third one was um, uh, Jamie Benziger, who's taken over at Imagery State Winery. And that's, I don't know if you read this or not, but it's really yeah. convoluted, the whole thing. Um, <laughs> But to make a long story short, her dad is, uh, he's, he retired uh, a few years ago, actually, as a winemaker at uh, Imagery. And uh, she had been working there for a while, so she took over as a winemaker. And uh, it's great to see that, that this stuff kind of gets passed on down to the family. Although I don't believe, um, uh, I don't believe that they actually have a uh, controlling interest in the winery anymore because it was actually it was sold. In Benzinger or Imagery? Imagery. Imagery, yeah. Because uh, the uncle... 
Benzinger is. Um, Benzinger. I think, uh, I think Benzinger. Um, I believe his name is Mike. Mike he's, uh, he's in. He's in a totally different um, business now. I, I believe he's an organic pot grower. Oh, oh, really? So you could you could check. Oh, is he the, I don't think he's in the wine business anymore. But he had some he had some health issues. The story goes that he had some health issues, and as it turned out, um, uh, marijuana was something that helped him with his his health health issues that he had. And once he saw the benefits of that, he decided to get in the business and help others. And that's kind of where that went. But what's interesting about this whole thing for me is that people can establish a brand, they can successfully grow that brand. And then, you know, if they're lucky, or in some cases, even if they aren't lucky, they can sell it for buku bucks. And then they can start another brand. Yeah. Like, because, uh, you know, even the people that I work for um, during the crush, this last crush, that's their, that was their, like, that's what they did. They built a great brand. They sold it for a lot of money. And then they just started their own brand. Did something else they wanted to do. Well, it's like Joe Wagner, right? Yeah. So he sold Miomi. He sold the brand for, I forget how much money. It was tens of millions, if not hundred million plus dollars. I forget how much money that was, but yeah. Um, I think we're going to see uh, more of this type of stuff going on just because of the age of the people that started, you know, started these businesses. Um, and also, um, as the cost of money continues to escalate, uh, thank you, Fed, um, we, we, we may well see more of these buyouts in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, you know, some of the... You know, some of the buyouts are just the you know just wealthy people buying things that they can buy. Yeah. Um, and you know, other it's kind of like family transactions, like we're seeing with Ramy and um, imagery and Meredith. Um, yeah, um, it's cool. I loved in the uh, I was I loved in the article about Ramy how I was talking about his. Uh, Dave made his son clean all the ball, ball all joints. the ball valves. Yeah, yeah, the ball valves. Um, I was like that. Yeah, it just warms the cockles of my heart. If you're going in the family business, you start from the ground up. It's a good way to learn. Um, and um, you know, he said he was interested, and he did it. So that's great. Yeah, here's, here's your broom. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a wonderful introduction to the to the production side of wine because. That's all it is. It's just cleaning one instrument and then going to another instrument and cleaning that one. And then getting it dirty again by, you know, moving some wine around with it or touching wine with it and then cleaning it again. That's the sanitation so, is key. Gotta be clean. That's for sure. It's like uh, it's like a glorified uh, uh, janitorial was, job. It, 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 it's so true. <laughs> I mean, it's in any food business, it seems that way. You're, you know, you're either prepping something or you're cleaning something. Sometimes you're packaging stuff, but then you got to clean up again. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, yeah, I want to go on a little bit of a jag. Did you, uh, did you get a chance to look at that um, article by, uh, I think it was uh, Jess Landers with the San Francisco Chronicle, talking about electric corkscrews? <laughs> yes. I got a kick out of that. Well, what's the what's the headline in the article? The um, it's uh, winemakers hate this tool. That's right. <laughs> but it's go. my go-to wine gift anyway. <laughs> I don't know about the hate. I'm but, sure there know. are people that are that way. <laughs> that hate. How do you, do you feel have about a, that? Do you have an electric uh, um, corkscrew, Bill? I do not. Why is that? Why not? I, you know, we use that, the rabbit. Yeah, okay. And have for years, and it's foolproof. Okay, so, gotcha, gotcha. You know, yeah, and rabbits. yeah, we've got, you know, I've got the other, the cork puller um, and the corkscrew. The, between the cork puller and the rabbit, um, it seems to work great. I think I've got a corkscrew in a, like a, you know, Leatherman or utility knife in the car that I've used before, you know, in a pinch. But uh, no electric corkscrew. How about you? You have electric? Lawnmower? No, I don't have an electric corkscrew. I think I um, 
the closest thing to that um, I had back in the day, I had one of the gas ones where you put the needle in, you push the button, and it pumps in a little inert gas and the cord comes out. Really? No, I've never I had one of those. Those that's were popular way back in the day. If you remember, I don't kind of remember which one it was. Kick in the pants. There was, a, there was a James Bond film. I think it was like Moonraker. At the end of the film, the guy puts the thing in the, and he pops it out. And, you know, that's how I always remember it. <laughs> that's great. But uh, yeah, I had I used to have one of those. I still might have it. I have probably, literally, yeah, no hyperbole here. I probably have fifty to sixty different wine opening devices. But since we moved, they're all in the shed, and I just use a wine knife. That's all I use. And if I have a, if I'm if I'm opening up an older wine and throwing the sediment, and I'm doing some decanting, um, I'll just use a double action um, corkscrew, and I'm good. Yeah, uh, you. It's interesting because you learn that people who, um, the wine knife is very popular, I will say, for oneophiles. And that, that's my, uh, and people who are in the business. Like if you talk to a, a waiter, um, sommelier, that's what they're using. Using yeah. a wine knife. It seems yeah. to be that way. And the reason they're using it is just, it's small. Yeah, it's good. You know, it can easily slip in your pocket, and you know, it's, and you know, it's easy to carry around. It's not like a rabbit. You know, you're not gonna carry a rabbit. No, I've got a holster for my rabbit. <laughs> I carry it around. So that's that's yeah. one of the, that's the main reason. You know, when I was in the in that business, that's that's why you used it because it's just it's convenient. Yeah. But uh, there are a, a lot of junky ones out there, and then there's some good ones. But um, if you have um, the one thing about the wine knife, if you do have like some problems with your wrist or some arthritis or something, I could see how you'd probably want to use something else because they are, you know, you have to do that whole idea of opening a bottle with the wine knife is there's the um, it kind of uh, kind of accents the snobbing the snobbiness that can be in wine, the cutting of the foil, you know, the wiping of the, you know, you the wipe whole thing. Carefully screwing Screw in, in the screw, get you know, the lever correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, you can. So it, it kind of, you know, it, a lot of people just like that part of it, and then the pop when it comes out. You know, you don't, you don't get that stuff so much with other devices. That's so true. So you get a lot of ceremony around that, which is, yes. you know, which is part of the wine experience. Yep. Yep. Especially Absolutely. if you're out somewhere. You know, you don't want somebody rolling up to your table with a rabbit. <laughs> enjoy your, enjoy your grog. Yeah, probably not the best. <laughs> or an electric best one. Well, you know, How back about, in the day, they would, what they would do is they would just, you know, before all the pomp and circumstance, you know, they would just like open the bottle in the back and bring it out. It's like, right. How do I know what's in there? Exactly. Get some Randy Kerwan special. <laughs> um, how about a saber, champagne saber? Have you ever done the opened a bottle with the saber? I've never done that. I, you know, I have you ever I, attempted? No, I've never. I've never done. I mean, I've never really been intrigued about it. But I do like to watch other people do it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I got a big enough space out here where I could just be blowing them out into the garden, I guess. But uh, well, you know, you get a case of you know inexpensive bubbly and. Have at it, but you know, are you really going to risk it with a you know expensive bottle of bubbly? Oh, here, no, you know, no. here's my. Well, you, now you don't typically see people doing that. No, if I just you know spent I mean? two hundred and fifty dollars on a bottle of Dom Perignon, I'm probably not going to. No, I'm not. I'm not taking a sword to that thing. Are you crazy? <laughs> I'll just go the old fashioned way. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, what else we got this week? Um, uh, I love the, uh, article about, um, um, we talked about this before about the wine labeling ingredients, <laughs> ingredients for wine labeling. Yeah. Did you see that? I did. What, what are your thoughts about, I mean, cause it's coming. The wine labeling is, it's already, uh, it's been introduced in Europe. Um, I believe the article stated that next year, this time wines that are sold in Europe will have to have. Um, ingredient labeling, which is pretty, 
it's something that they've been fighting over here. Um, the industry, the, the U.S. industry has been fighting for a while. But, I mean, face it, if you want to sell some wine in Europe, right, you're, you're going to have to have some ingredient labeling on your wine yeah. to sell I, it over there. I think it's it's perfectly, I think it's great, actually. Um, I know it's controversial and everything, but I do think people play games with wine. And so, you know, it all depends on what the exact requirements are for the labeling. But it should help, you know, it should help. You know, keep people more honest. I would say, but well, here's the way around it. But uh, but I was gonna say mo- the way they figured a way around it is because it's coming. It's one of those things. It's gonna happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I don't but think people one care. way that you can get away with it is the QR code. Oh, well, that's so if you put the information, that's fine. Yeah, on the code, and then you just have to look it up on your smartphone. Yeah, then you know we're it's all not trained cluttering up the label. Yeah, we're all trained to do that, right? Yeah, From COVID. Yeah. From COVID, right? You used to go into you still you go into a restaurant. There are many restaurants that you. Um, heck, I was in Portland, Oregon. I don't know about six weeks ago, and we went to a place. I just sat at my table. We ordered everything from the right from the table, paid everything. Yep. Didn't have to leave. Service. It was all you know. Got service and everything. It was actually quite convenient, kind of nice. Did but, you see the the thing with the um, the the new thing with the robot that actually brings the food out? No. No. So there I mean, you go. So you can order all your food. It's only a matter of time. Will just bring it out to you. It's only a matter. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. They're going to run all of us, the robots. It's all coming. <laughs> it's all coming. You know, I mean, and seriously, how many people are going to look at the the QR code? Yeah, it's, that's like I said. That's the way around it. They're they're not going to. I mean, I, I believe it said in the article. Let's see. It says. Uh, People over 60 dislike QR codes. People under 40 are more amenable to the idea. And they better be because uh, the, the, the Wine Market Council president, Dale Stratton, says we're looking at QR codes as a delivery device for this moving forward. Yeah, so good. upgrade your phone, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a... I agree that like slapping an ingredient label, you know, wineries spend quite a, you know, it's a thing. The label is a thing. It's part of their, part of their brand, part of the marketing. So, you know, slapping an ingredient label on that thing is like, ugh. and the QR code's a good solution. Yeah, Well, you could do a lot with that. You know, you can turn that thing into a, a marketing, uh, a marketing channel for you you bat that qr code and before you can get to the ingredient label you can you got to read all this other stuff yeah yeah give me your email address so i can you can be a lead you know exactly that's what i'm thinking you know i'm not telling you the ingredients until you tell me who you are exactly i'm not giving you all this info that's right so um, the only other thing uh, I, that really piqued my interest was, well, there was a couple other things, but uh, um, I'm, I'm awfully interested in these um, insurance companies and the claims that are still out there for the fires that we've had over the past four to five years. And uh, Jackson Family Wines has filed a federal lawsuit against their insurance company, Zurich American Insurance Company. And uh, this is in the wine business. This is kind of dry stuff. But basically what's happening is Jackson Family Wines, they had all their stuff insured um, to the hilt. And we've had fires in 2017. That was the Pocket and Tubbs fire, the Nuns fire. We had the, uh, the Kincaid fire in 2019. Glass. Glass fire in 2020. You know, we've been on fire. And um, they put in a claim for $430 million and their insurance company, uh, you know, they're dickering back and forth, but the insurance company has paid a portion of that claim, $69.9 million, but uh, that's a far cry from it's 430 a fraction. million. So they've, yeah, it's a fraction of that 430. Yeah, so 
they're um, and uh, I guess they were covered up to 1.1 billion. I mean, Jackson Family Wines has assets all over Sonoma, Napa, um, Marin, Lake Mendoza. They have assets everywhere. It's a plus or plus Oregon, big, right? And Oregon, yeah, it's a they're big kind of, company. Yeah. So uh, they're gonna go. They're in. They're they're in litigation, and they're, they're gonna get it figured out. But some of the things that they mentioned in the um, the suit was. You know, obviously there's a fire, the winery claims the employees couldn't reach the vineyards to harvest the grapes at their optimum ripeness. Um, the ensuing wines were made from those grapes were unmarketable under their brands. Um, uh, they lost structures, residences, equipment, personal business property. Uh, trees were destroyed. They still have to remove those trees because you're mandated by uh, the county to, you know, to, to take care of that. So, you know, there's a cost associated with actually cleaning up the land, all of those things. So it'd be, I'm going to follow this kind of closely. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. It's going to drag out for years, obviously. But um, I just recently went through something where I had to work with an insurance company. And um, it's gentle, it's, it's gentle, constant, persistent uh, persuasion that gets the job done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just not fun. It's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were insured for a billion one for all of this stuff. Yeah. And so you know they're only asking for a fraction of that billion. Um, I don't know. Well, I'll be really interested to see how it pans out too. And they have the you know the other the the other good thing about Jackson is they have. Um, They've got the money and the you know they've got the money for the lawyers to fight the suit. Yeah, yeah, they have the money. Um, yeah, there's a smaller smaller individuals that have to fight these insurance companies. I really feel for them because they don't have. They'll the just power. litigate you. They'll litigate you to death. Yeah, they just won't pay. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't. What are you going to do? Put, sue me? Great. I don't have the money to sue you. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a, yeah, you can be real cynical and say you might be able to get a deal on a winery soon. Yeah, <laughs> that's harsh. Yeah, that is pretty harsh. That's, that's harsh. Sad but true. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want to see that happen. But, oh, no. Um, no, not at all. Fortunately, that's uh, like you said that that's definitely happened. Yeah. Well, let's end on a let's end on a high note. I haven't been to this restaurant, but. Uh, Napa Valley has a young man called Vincent Moreau, and he's been named um, the top sommelier in the state of California, which is quite a distinction. But he works, he's the wine director at the Press Restaurant. Have you been to the Press Restaurant, Bill? No. Yeah, I, I don't roll in those circles, actually. But the Press Restaurant is, um, they are known for, get out of here. Got a pop up, can't get rid of. They're known for um, having a wine list. Well, it was originally it was a steakhouse, and they're known for having a wine list that's primarily uh, Napa, Napa Valley wines, which would be it would be Cap Cabernet Sauvignon centric, right? Yep. And uh, that's that's what's uh, so that's pretty cool. That's a, a pretty cool um, uh, to be named uh, a song. Uh, Top Psalm of the Year, and he just happens to be an African American man, which is, oh, that's I cool. think there's only four um, African American um, master sommeliers in the world. Wow, they have one, two, three, four. They have five sommeliers at that restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm looking at their website. Um, amazing. I, you know, sometimes I. You know, it might be worth going to check this place out for like a happy hour or something and seeing what's on their <laughs> what's on their list in terms of by the glass. You might I don't know if they let me in, Bill. Yeah, they would. <laughs> yeah, they would. They let I think me I think you'd be let in before I would be let in. <laughs> Truth be told. Truth be told. Um, but no, seriously, sometimes you can learn some stuff by just showing up and having wine at a happy hour like that where you're asking the staff, like, hey, what should I try here? Um, sometimes you get stuff you've never had before, or you learn about a bottle that you, you know, that you really like. Um, 
And plus, you go to these restaurants, you can get good tasting tips, too. Like, if you come to Napa Valley, the staff is always good to, like, hey, where should I go? Get some insider knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I agree. You know, it's always good good that way. And then, you know, don't break the bank. And, and the reason I'm saying this is there's a restaurant in Sonoma County that just reopened here called Cirrus. It's a really high-end restaurant. Um, super expensive. But you can go to their bar. And so you can taste some of their food at a fraction of what it would cost for you to go through, um, you know, go through their tasting menu. Gotcha. So, gotcha. you know, um, and it's still expensive, but, you know, you kind of get that really, you know, you get that experience. You get to experience some of it without, you know, paying hundreds of dollars per person. Um, and, of course, you know, it's like a Michelin starred restaurant and all that good stuff. Um, oh, it's Michelin Star, Star too. I didn't know that. They opened, and I want to say three or four months in, they got their star. God, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, it is. It is. Um, it, it's. Uh, it's good to see. They're clearly passionate about what they do. You always like to see people succeed. Gotcha. Well, what, what you've been? Uh, what you've been, been drinking, drinking lately, Bill? You know, I. Um, I was at Russian River Brewing this week, and they have a new beer that's a Hell style uh, or a Keller style Pilsner, made with a a perennial grain called Kernza, K E N Z R A, um, and it's it was done with uh, hops. Uh, everything, this sustainable grain and hops kind of all made locally. And it was really, uh, and it's in conjunction with Patagonia Provisions. So really interesting beer and sustainable, you know, or, you know, organic, local, all that good stuff, plus sustainability. I don't think most people realize that we, we lose like 3%, 3 to 5% of the topsoil every year on the planet. Um, I didn't know that. From, from farmable land because of the fact that you have to till the soil. Um, and that stuff just blows away. It might even be higher, but it's a, you know, it's kind of a problem with factory farming. You know, if you go, if you go into farming regions, you can see like, why is, why is all the land here where they're farming lower than the roads and all of that? Yeah. Well, part of it is for water, but a lot of it is because over time, the soil's just been blown away. Um, and so there have been a fair amount of people, I know this, the University of Washington have, have a really well-known program where that around food production, where they're using sustainable grains for bread and, and, and now beer. So, uh, the, uh, I was, they're awesome brewers at Russian river and you can just taste it in their quality, of their beer. And, and this beer was, you know. If somebody would have told you it was made with a sustainable grain and it wasn't typical grain, you wouldn't have known. Okay. Um, it was really, and very true to type in terms of a Keller style, kind of hazy, um, uh, you know, a little bit of hazy. It's not, you know, super, you know, super clear beer. Um, but yeah, it's delicious. And if you're in the air, it, you might, um, I was told you might be able to get this beer in other places in the not too distant future. Um, and back to the QR code, they handed me a sh I know all of this because they was talking to the, um, the, the, you know, the bartender, the beer slinger. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, wait a minute. He hands me a sheet. It's got all this info on it. It's got a QR code. So they were asking, they were asking, I hit the QR code up and they were asking about the beer. Like, did it like the taste? What did you think about the color? It was like four questions. It's really smart. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, really smart. And kind of prompting you if you if you haven't gone through it, you know, been told, you know, just like you learn about wine, beer has the same kind of principles around taste and texture and all of that stuff, clarity, all of that stuff. So it's kind of interesting that they were walking you through some basic questions to think about when you taste beer. But anyway, that's what I've had recently that was was uh was awesome um and um i don't know friday night we went down to seismic brewing i think seismic is making beer in the same you know 
their brew qualities like off the charts, like Russian River off the charts. And of course, Seismic was started by Jess Jackson of Jackson Family Wines, grandson, who recently just bought Golden State Cider. So um, same kind of thing, biodynamic, organic, sustainable, um, sustainable beer, make awesome beer. Um, so that's what I've been having lately. Very nice. You've been you've been uh, you've been uh, drinking well. Yeah, well, you know, I live in a we live in a cornucopia of if you're not eating and drinking well in Sonoma County, it's your own fault. You either that or you're a hermit. You don't go anywhere. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but even then, you could order stuff and have it. Yeah. Just bring it to your house. Yeah, I mean it's crazy, and I you know I'm not saying folks that you know there are folks that are out there who are hungry too to be real. Um, but you know, I'm fortunate enough personally that I get to choose some of this stuff. So I feel pretty blessed, blessed and grateful for all of that. Um, especially thinking about that during the holidays. Yes, absolutely. How about yourself? What you drinking? You sent me some, you sent me some texts with some, I was like, I was having, I was like drinking water one night and I'm like, with my dinner, and I'm like, that looks pretty good. I wish it was at Al's house. <laughs> it's like, damn. I don't know what it is, but I have been opening up some good bottles. I'm still working on trying to get the photos and sharing them. I'm not that good. But uh, one of the most memorable I had, I don't even know if I told you about this one, but I had a Old Vine Zinfandel from Hartford, speaking of Jackson Family Wines. Huh. Um, and... Uh, it's uh, their Hartford Vineyard, which is in Russian River Valley. It's a 2016. That's probably one of the best Zinfandels I've had all year. Really? It was just That's good, huh? mind-blowing. Mind-blowing good. And I felt really good about it because I had um, I had a couple more bottles still. So even my wife was like, man, what is this? <laughs> this is so good. drinking a lot of Bordeaux lately. I've been going on a little bit of a Bordeaux jag. I I noted that uh, Chateau Chateau Coufran? Coufran? Yes, the Coufran, yeah. That looked interesting. Yeah, that's a 2001. Coufran's kind of a smaller state. Um, it's always, they always have it at um, K&L Wines. This one I bought like 10 years ago, and I kind of like, it got lost, but I found it. And um, as you can see from the color, yeah, I mean, it's it's really alive, very alive, um, really beautiful red fruit. Um, it's uh, Ome Doc, so it's a um, left bank wine, just predominantly Cabernet and this cup of a little Merlot. Really, really wonderful wine. I enjoyed that. Um, actually, I still have another bottle of that, too, so we'll probably open that for the holidays because it's ready. It's yeah. not, I don't, I don't see it really improving any further. Here's one I'm having tonight. What you got there? This is a Cormelay, Chateau Cormelay. I don't know. Can you see that? I can. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and this is a 2009. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm kind of starting to drink my um, 2009s and 2010s uh, Bordeaux's because they're kind of right at the right at the spot where I like to drink Bordeaux. Usually between like eight, twelve years. That's that's my that's my sweet that's spot. That's a range. And uh, I kept this one just recently. Can you see this? This is the Chateau de Saranso. Yeah. It's a 2005. And we're going to open that tonight and try it out and see what it's like. And um, the place where I got it, I know they have some more. So if I like it, I'll go down and buy some more of that. But that's like a $25 bottle. One of the things about Bordeaux is that a lot of people don't know is that you could easily, for, for a decent bottle of, of Cabernet these days, from this area where we live, or from Napa, I mean, for a really good bottle, you're gonna have to spend. You're gonna have to spend over forty bucks. I was gonna say I was forty five bucks was in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you can, can buy it. You can buy a decent Bordeaux for that. You can buy a or better. whole bunch of good Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Yeah, <laughs> for forty dollars and under. Yeah. And uh, I mean, depending on if you want to drink it then or you want to hold on to it, and, and Bordeaux wines actually. Um, they do tend to age a little bit better, in my opinion. They they um, they carry the day as far as 
age and can they age a little bit better. And they seem to be a little bit more complex um, and have a, a few more uh, dimensions and in, in flavors and in, in aromatic profile that I prefer. So, Is that controversial to say that they age better? I mean, that's my knowledge that... That if, if I was, was a person, person and I owned a winery in Napa, I would, oh, of course. Well, like, yeah. What are you talking? Well, I'm about? not. I'm not marketing. <laughs> I'm not marketing wine. I want to know what the rest. Of, I want to know what the people say. Um, I would say that that's a controversial statement. If I put something like that on the internet and Twitter, just blankly said Bordeaux wines age better than, you know, uh, California wines, that would be a very uh, It'd be a lively discussion. Oh, but it's just true. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, that's good. A lively I, I, discussion, uh, discussion indeed. Yeah. The other interesting thing I but read... But it's was, a thing, it's an old world versus new world. Because yeah. in general, new world wines exhibit more fruit. And, you know, old world wines, the, the fruit is there, but it's there's, there's also all of these other factors that are, that are part of it. So... You know, I've I've had older wines from both, and I mean, I've had a bunch of '97 Cabernets that I drank not too long ago, maybe like a couple years ago. Those wines were fantastic, but they do they don't have as much dimension as the European wines do, and I, I will say that, and that's just my opinion. They, they're they're um they they have a little bit more to offer European wines in that regard. And I, I would say when they initially come out, um, the New World wines from, from here, from, from Napa, from Sonoma, uh, they're definitely more likable in the beginning. Um, they're, 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 um, they're, they're, they're way more uh, to, to my liking in the beginning. But um, that changes as they age. Yeah. So I prefer older aged European wines. That's just your, that's your yeah taste preference. Plus, you know, to to be fair, the the wines in California are made for California. You know, for American consumers, they don't typically. I don't know the stats on this, but I'm going to make an assumption here. It's always risky. A lot of people don't hold wine. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, that's true. you know the bulk, and I'm talking the majority of the people. You know, sure, there's oniophiles out there and people who are interested in wine who will hold it, but most folks want to go get a bottle and drink it. So the wine's designed for that. Um, it'd be an interesting experiment to buy some not and you don't not super premium Cabernet, you know, not expensive, and put it down and see what happens. Like you know, um, you know put it down for a while and see what happens. Does it get any better with age or does it just, you know, you go do buy a case and do like one a year and see what happens. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, it's fun to do. I mean, it just depends on the wine. A lot of it just depends on how it's, how it's made. You know, sure. if it's balanced when it's initially made in the beginning, you know, it will age well. If it's unbalanced, i.e., let's say if the wine's super tannic when you get it, it's new. You know, chances are, that tannic structure, it, although it's going to get softer, I mean, if that wine is unbalanced, it's over acidic, if it's over tan, you know, it's yeah. not going to correct it's itself true. by aging. That's true. So That's true. It's kind of like a, a dish on your, yeah, you, know, yeah. Cook a, you cook a, a nice ragu or something, and if you over-salted it, you know, it's not going to get better. It's going to be in the fridge for a couple of days. <laughs> it's still over-salted, man. It's sure. So back to my wine is food thing. I'm always preaching that, but it's true. Wine is food. So, so uh, Bill, um, we better get out. Yeah. Um, got a few things to do, and I'm sure you do. Um, let's uh, tell everyone how to reach us. That's right. So you can hit Al up on the Twitters at twitter.com slash vino101net. And it is a lively time in Twitter, despite all the media hype. There's, uh, <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's, it's, there, the service is actually increasing in the number of tweets and people joining, so it's quite an interesting time. You can, uh, you can, you, we could talk about what that is, if you want. I'm going to break in. I walked over you. My apologies. No, no, no. Um, what's going on with Tesla, man? Is he going to be running that still? Or? Yeah, yeah. And that's why the stock's being punished um, is because they think he's distracted. So, you know that they're you know can't do everything which is kind of a 
uh, a non-starter argument for me. It's like, well, wait a minute. He's running. Before he did Tesla, he was running SpaceX, the boring company, Tesla, Neuralink, and I think there was one other. He's um, clearly a man that does not enjoy sleep. He's not a normal human. <laughs> he is not an average typical human. So, um, and it's funny because if you dig, you know, there, you know, for every story you hear negative, there's a counter story to it. So it'll be interesting to see how it happens. It's a hard thing to do. I don't think, you know, can you, can you build software? I don't know. The AI is getting pretty good. Let me just say that there's this to talk, to geek out for a minute. There's a, a company called open AI and they have, a um, an AI model called GPT-3 and they just hooked it up to chat and it's pretty freaking amazing. Let me just say that. Yep. Um, and I'll, and I'll give you an example. I needed to write an online review for somebody the other day and I just typed it in online review and better than anything I could have written. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you can ask it questions like, you know, Hey, I have this pile of money and I need to go invest it. What should I invest in? And it gives it sounds like my financial advisor talking to me. Wow. It's ridiculous. It's I'm like, is that a script from my financial advisor? It sounds like it. It's just at um it's an interesting thing to do. You can go sign up for free, by the way, and uh, right. play with it. I should ask it some wine questions. I'll do that next time we do a cast. That's great. Yeah, yeah. and then if you could just, just like, like record, record them it. and then we'll see, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Ask it like, um, you know, wine guy wants to buy some wine. He has a, he has a, a Eurocentric palate. He's looking for, you know, what would you suggest? Wine recommendations. That's great. <laughs> Uh, that's great stuff. You can make our jobs uh, a little less, uh, well, you know, I wouldn't really call this a job. But <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a hobby. So the most interesting thing I've seen it do is it put in a couple of people who are, um, they're in the media business, but they cover tech and they have their various personalities and they, they asked it to write a a script for a podcast. There's like four of them or five or four of them that do it. Um, five of them and said, Hey, we want a podcast in the style of Quentin Tarantino. Hmm. And it came out with a script that if you know these people, it's like, Holy smokes. It does sound like Quentin Tarantino wrote the thing. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's crazy. So anyway, yeah, the robots are coming for us. Maybe Elon's a robot. Who knows? Um, but back on the jag where you can get, you can get to us. So you can email us, um, at info at vino101.net or Al or Bill at vino101.net. We do have a, a Facebook page. So it's just really hitting our Twitters up. So if you're on Facebook, you can link it there and you'll get all the Twitter action too. Um, and if you like Beautiful. what you hear, please tell a friend and let us know what you want to hear and or drink about. We'll cover it for you. Tell a friend and uh, go on and uh, give us some stars, man. Yeah, and uh, have a great, have a great holiday. All right, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.